on one main topic. And as you read through it, you'll see several times the theme appears over and over. First Peter focuses on the theme of holiness in a Christian's life, and it's not just this ideal of holiness, but it's a practical aspect of living in holiness as we follow the Lord's leading in our lives. I just want to read three verses this morning that give us the crux of the command down in verse 14 in chapter 1 of 1 Peter. The apostle just goes, gets done going through the hope that we have in Christ. And in, chapter, in verse 14 he says this, As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. Let's take a minute to look to the Lord in prayer as, before we continue. Lord, we thank you again that you've given us the opportunity to have your word, to be able to study your word and read it. We know that your spirit will guide us if we're looking for truth and if we want your way for our lives. And so, Lord, that's what we ask this morning. We pray that you would just help our hearts and our minds to understand what your word is teaching us regarding this aspect of holiness in a Christian's life. And so, Lord, I pray that you would just guide my lips and my mind. I pray that my words would be your message, that you would use me as your vessel. And, Lord, speak to our hearts, not just in an inspirational way, but in a challenge and in an exhortation from you that we need to be a holy, a peculiar people, separated and consecrated to you, so that we might be the light and salt that you want us to be. Lord, help us to understand this idea of holiness and how you define it, so that that might be the goal for which we live. And as we live for that goal, Lord, we know that we will be honoring, glorifying you in all things. And that's why and what we do on this earth. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Holiness. The word is tossed around in Christian circles, and there's lots of sermons, lots of songs, lots of discussion about it. But what exactly does the word mean? Holiness. If you went around and surveyed probably a hundred different Christians, people who call themselves Christians, you may get a hundred different definitions. And the problem is that the word has become so commonplace in Christian circles that people have decided to define it, and not just holiness, but they've decided to define what Christian life is all about according to their own terms. And in studying God's word, our responsibility as Christians, if we are true believers, our responsibility is to find what God says about what our lives should be. God says here in 1 Peter and gives us this command that in all manner of conversation, in every area of our lives, we should pursue holiness. Not so that we can have a great life, not so that we can have a great testimony, not so that we can be able to help people, not so we look like good Christians. That's not the motivation. Motivation is in verse 16. Peter says, because it is written, be holy for I am holy. There's our motivation to holiness. It's because we have a holy God not only that we answer to, but who we are thankful for, the, the eternal life that he's given us through his Son. And it's Christ's holiness that we're trying to obtain, not our own. So when you ask the question, what is the word holiness? Again, lots of diverse answers, but I think we need to look at what the Bible says about it. So I've entitled the message, Biblical Holiness. And we need to, I'm, I'm going to get real, just right down to the basics and I've got several messages that kind of uh, domino effect from on this topic of holiness as far as understanding what it is and how we're supposed to live it out every day in our lives. So today we're going to define it a little bit. And first of all, we have to start with the source. Where does holiness come from? And obviously the verse tells us in verse 16 here, Be ye holy, for I am holy. We sang this morning, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. If we really believed that phrase, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. I mean, think about those words. The, the holy, holy, holy. That's the only, we're studying that in our Bible study on Wednesdays, uh, along with some other characteristics of God. But that is the only characteristic of God that is repeated three times and emphasized in that manner when it describes him. Isaiah chapter 6, Revelation 
the beginning of the book. In both instances, it is angels or the elders or heavenly beings proclaiming God's holiness, and they say it, holy, holy, holy. A lot of study has been put into the love of God, and we're going to talk about that in just a minute, but never in the Bible do you see God is love, love, love. All right? It doesn't ever say God is eternal, eternal, eternal. Nothing or no other characteristic of God is actually emphasized as much as his holiness. And in fact, when you read the overall message of Scripture, the Scripture is there to paint a picture of God's holiness for us, and out of his holiness flows everything else. And so when he says, be holy for I am holy, we need to understand what that means. So when we start looking for the answer to what is holiness, you have to start with Scripture. All right? That is the primary source for our understanding of Scripture. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15 through 17. It tells us what the purpose of Scripture for. Verse 16 says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. So when we want to answer what is holiness, the first place we go is Scripture. Now, I know there's lots of books. In fact, I've read several books on holiness. Nothing wrong with those. There's a great one by Jerry Bridges on holiness. But that's not our source for the answering this question, what is holiness? Okay, they may help us understand a little bit what the Bible is talking about. But other people's explanations, other people's books do not tell us the answer to what is holiness. That can only be found as we understand and know God. And that only happens as we understand and know his word. So we have to start with scripture. All teaching or all answers about holiness must come from the Bible. So when we talk about standards of holiness, and this is where it gets practical, okay, what is holiness? It's about having our character be made in the image of Christ, or having Christ's character being instilled in us by God, so that we become holy through Christ. So when we start to think about that, we have to think about, okay, what are those standards then, or what is the teaching around that idea of holiness and how we should live? Well, when we talk about the standards of holiness, what God has said, this is what holiness is, it's either a very clear biblical statement, or it's an application of a biblical principle. If you want to say, well, where does God define holiness? I'd have to lift this book up and say, right here. Well, where specifically? Well, you start in Genesis, and start at chapter 1, and read through Revelation, the end of chapter 22, and you'll understand what holiness is if you're really looking for it. Because you have to get the big picture of who God is, what his purpose is, and what his plan for your life is, and then you start to understand a little bit, okay, now I understand what God's holiness is. How does that work in my life? Start looking at the examples that God set for us. The primary one being Christ, obviously. Christ lived a holy life. And as Christians, the word Christian means little Christ's holiness as Christ lived, that's our goal. If that's not important to us, then we're not concerned about being a Christian. In fact, the Bible tells us that those people who are not concerned about the holiness, we looked at this last week and the week before, those people who aren't concerned about God's standards and about God's way and about God's plan and about God's goal for them to live a holy life cannot be saved. It's an impossibility. You cannot have Christ, not just as part of your life, but you cannot have Christ as your life and not care about what God says about how you're supposed to live. It's impossible. So when we talk about holiness, we have to start with Scripture. And we look either at specific biblical statements or at applications of biblical principles that are in Scripture. So everything starts with God's Word. The interesting thing is when you look at the question, what is holiness? How should we live holy? All right, a lot of people will go to the Bible and say, oh, well, you know, I read the whole thing. And it doesn't say, thou shalt not about this. It doesn't say, thou shalt about this. So that's not important. You have to make sure you look for the black and whites, the thou shalts and thou shalt nots. Follow those, and you got the idea. All right? There was a whole group of people who did that in Christ's time. They were called the Pharisees. They had the law, over 600, almost 700 laws, specific things that they had to do on a regular basis. They had them all outlined, all written out. In fact, that's what they taught the people. Live like this. They followed those to a T. 
And when, the, the, uh, when several of them came to Christ, there were several instances when someone came to Christ, one was a rich young ruler, and he said, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And Christ said, well, you understand the law? He said, yeah, I understand it. I followed that from my youth. He said, all that you lack then is to sell all you have and give to the poor. And he's, think, he's probably thinking in his head, wait, wait a minute, that's not in the law. I don't remember reading that part. And the Bible says he turned away and went his way sadly. He didn't want that application of it. He had followed all the rules and regulations, but he didn't meet God's standard of holiness. In fact, when Christ looked at the Pharisees, he condemned them as children of the devil. So the book, the Bible, is not something we look at as a, book, a list of rules and regulations. You don't read the Bible going, oh, there's a thou shalt, got to write that down. All right, I'm going to work on following that one. All right, here's a thou shalt not. So we've got to make sure we don't do that. The Bible is a picture of God. And God gives us in his word a picture of what he wants our lives to look like. And all through scripture, there are principles woven into the teaching to help us understand, okay, this may not be a thou shalt or thou shalt not. But this principle is important as far as living out my life, and I need to understand how to live it. I need to understand how to apply this principle by my life on a regular basis. All right, I'll give you a principle that applies to holiness that's not a thou shalt or thou shalt not. And this one has been argued over much. In fact, as studying for this message and in other messages, I've come across discussions on this very verse. 1 John 2.15 says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. I had a discussion with a leader in a, in a Baptist church not that long ago. He was a prominent individual in a church and regarded as a leader in the church. He had served as a deacon. And in the discussion I had with him about that verse, he said, well, that says love not the world and the things that are in the world. That means don't fall in love with the planet and don't fall in love with the stuff. But as far as living like the world, you have to do that in order to appeal to them. And I said, you're missing the principle. He said, no, I got it. That's what God showed me. That's all I need to know. But he missed the principle behind it. That's exactly what Christ told the Pharisees when, when they said, well, you know, what's the most important law? They were trying to trap him. They came to Christ and they said, okay, we're going we're gonna to put him in a corner here. What's the most important of the law? What's the, the greatest commandment? And they were expecting him to come out with maybe one of the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Yeah, that's important. But what did Christ say was the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second is like unto it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And the Pharisees probably stood there going, oh, wait a minute, that's not one of the ten. Uh, uh, yeah, no, that, that doesn't fit. But they missed the principle. And see, that's where many Christians are. When they look at Scripture, they're looking for the do's and don'ts, looking for the thou shalt and thou shalt nots, and not looking for the principles that God's trying to teach us as far as the standards that we should live by so that our life is holy in his sight. So we have to start with Scripture. The Bible is a guideline to holiness. It gives us everything we need to live in holiness. So we start with Scripture. But is that enough? I mean, if that was enough, then every unsaved person would understand it. Now here's what makes the difference. We have the Bible. Unsaved people have the Bible. And we can read it just as well as they can. And in fact, there are biblical scholars who probably could explain the historical, the archaeological, the, you know, whatever, references of Scripture. They could come down and give you the exact details of the time period and what this refers to and how much uh, this measurement is and all the rest of it. So they may understand the words and the, and the text of Scripture better than I do. But an unsafe person doesn't have the Holy Spirit. And that's really our, if you want to look at it this way, our second source of wisdom toward understanding holiness. Unsafe people will never understand what holiness is. They look at it as a list of do's and don'ts. You've got to live this way. You've got to be clean. You can't do this. You can't do that. You've got to go to church on Sunday. You've got to pray. You've got to carry your Bible a certain way. You've got to make sure people see that you're a Christian. That's not what being a Christian is all about. Being a Christian and living as a Christian 
is understanding God's word so that God's Holy Spirit can guide us to live that truth in our lives. So our second teacher is the Holy Spirit. Yes, we need God's word. That's the primary source, but we need the Holy Spirit to guide us in understanding and living it. And that's the advantage we have as Christians over unsaved people. The Holy Spirit is there when we read the Bible, when we read God's teaching about, about holiness or about anything relating to our Christian lives. God's Spirit will say, this is what it means. This is how you're supposed to live this out. This is what I want you to do in reference to this passage or in reference to this principle that you're reading here. Now, we have to be very careful here because there's lots of people, including Christians, who when they look at Scripture and want to understand it, they'll have a, a preconceived idea of what they're looking for in their minds. And so as they look at Scripture, all they're looking for is a way to support what they already want to believe. That's dangerous. Because if you don't go into Scripture with an open mind as far as going before God and saying, Lord, I want to understand your word, not just so I can know your word, but so that I know how it's supposed to apply in my life. What do you want me to be in relation to what I'm reading here? And that's where the Holy Spirit gives us the direction that we need as Christians. And that's the advantage as Christians that we have over those people who are unsaved as far as understanding holiness. Holiness is not about living by a set of rules. Holiness is understanding the truth of God and then living it through the understanding that the Spirit of God gives us. So we have two teachers, in a sense. From John 14, 26, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. Christ was telling his disciples that. He was saying, okay, for three years you've listened to me teach the word of God. Christ was the word in flesh. So they were in the presence, they understood, they heard the teaching. How many times did Christ tell the disciples that he was going to die and rise again three days later? Several. I mean, several are recorded in Scripture. Uh, the book of John tells us at the end that Christ did lots of other things that are not recorded here, so we don't know how many times he reminded them of that. And what did the disciples do when Christ was finally crucified? They all sat around and pouted because Christ was gone. They didn't get it. All right? But after Christ ascended to heaven, and we read in Acts chapter 2 of Pentecost, they were all assembled, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and all of a sudden they were filled with the power of God. And all of this stuff that Christ had taught them suddenly made sense. Because God had his spirit in them that was telling them what this all meant in their lives. And if you start from the book of Acts, start at chapter 2, and then read through the book of Acts and see what these plain old fishermen, who were ignorant for the most part, did as far as establishing the church of God. It's amazing. But it wasn't about them. It was about what the Holy Spirit did through them. So we start, when we talk about holiness, we start with God's word. That's the standard. And then we have to add into that the Holy Spirit teaching us what God's word is. Now there's a third aspect to the teaching. It's it's important, but it's not as important. In God's church, God has ordained and gifted certain people, and, and he specifically mentions elders or pastors and, and teachers, and you could also put evangelists in that, and maybe uh, those who are gifted with exhortation. Uh, but specifically, pastors and teachers, God's gifted with the gift and the enabling to teach the, the word of God as the Spirit leads them. Now, Here's the caveat I want to put on that. As important as biblical teachers and preachers are, and pastors are, for us understanding God's word, they are not the final authority. They are men. And I will put myself in that category. I do not understand everything there is to understand about the Bible. And no Christian, no person, should ever take the word or the teaching of a man at face value and say, that was God speaking. Okay? I may be proclaiming God's truth, and that's what I pray all the time. When I teach, I pray that God would inspire me and help me to understand his word so that I teach exactly what he's trying to say. But you know what? There are times when I am wrong. And that's why we need to compare everything that men teach against God's word and ask God's Holy Spirit to show us, okay, is this really what God's word is teaching us? 
Is this really what God is trying to show us? Is this really the way that God wants us to apply this in our lives? So God is the final authority here as far as holiness. There are a lot, like I said at the beginning, there's lots of people who have written books, who have done seminars, who stand up and give sermons about holiness. Great. Those are great to challenge us to think, to study God's word further, but never accept the word of a man as the final authority. Okay? It's important. And I'm standing up here saying, if you come to church and you enjoy my sermons, great. I'm glad. If you get challenged by what I'm teaching, that's great. But don't walk away from here thinking, that was a great sermon. I'm going to dwell on that for a while. Go home, open the Word of God, ask the Lord, okay, is this really the best application of this? Is this really the best way to understand God's truth? When we talk about holiness, is this what God is talking about when, he, when He's talking about holiness? It's not what I define it as. It's not what a teacher says it is. It's not what the author of a book says how you're supposed to live. It's what God says that matters. So as important as teachers and pastors are, God's Word and the Holy Spirit are more important. So God has given us three sources of teaching, but His Word and His Spirit are the main sources. So we have those three teachers, but the Bible is our final authority. So when we talk about holiness, here's the question. Are you relying on your understanding of holiness uh, and what you gain to understand when God says, Be ye holy, what is your source to fill in the blanks as far as carrying that out on a regular basis? Go to church, hear the pastor talk about it. Good enough. Okay, I got two or three points on my notes. I'll just read them for a while. And I got it down. If that's all you're doing, then you are about as far from what God wants you to understand holiness is as you can get. Because if you don't take the initiative to search it out, and to seek it out, and to implore God to help you understand and live it out on a regular basis, then you're failing in God's plan for you. Don't ever trust a Sunday morning sermon to get you through the rest of your week or the rest of your life. All it is is a spark to ignite the flame so that you will apply yourself to find out what God wants you to do as far as living this out on a regular basis. All right, that one I kind of got... I, I'm sorry, I, I get into this, and uh, it's, it's one of my... If you want to call it a pet peeve, it's a pet peeve. But I'm, I'm, I've met so many Christians that their entire Christian life is built around books and about, around preachers and about, around everything else except God's Word. They don't take the time to study God's Word. So you want the message? Here's the crux of the message. If you're going to live a holy life, put yourself in God's Word and ask God to direct you through it. There's the first half. All right, so as we move on, motivations for holiness. Okay, now, God has given us an understanding, hopefully, of holiness. All right? That if, if that's our desire, God says, be ye holy. We've got the command. Now that's our desire, I hope. As Christians, that should be it. That's the goal. Be ye holy. So what's the motivation? Well, we've got to do it because God said we've got to do it. So as much as I don't like it, as much as I don't enjoy it, I've got to do it. No, see, that's the wrong motivation. The motivation of holiness comes down to three things, or the, the process of obtaining or of seeking that holiness is motivated by three things. Number one is faith. Do you really believe that what God said in his word is true? And that is not answered by words. That is answered by how we live. James tells us that faith is not about faith without works. In fact, faith without works is dead. If you really believe what you say you believe, then your life is going to demonstrate that you believe God's true. And when God says, be ye holy, as a command, several times in Scripture, if we really believe that that's God speaking, then that will be a major goal of our Christian life. If we don't care about it, then God says, you're not really one of mine. Last week we talked about sheep and goats, the difference between sheep and goats, and the, the prophet Isaiah refers to them. Ezekiel has a, a big exhortation or a big discourse on sheep and goats in chapter 34. We looked at that passage. Basically, what God is telling us is this. Sheep are my children. They hear my voice. They follow me. Goats, they want to be part of the flock, but all they do want to do is go their own way. They're always pushing the boundaries. They want a little bit more. They want a little bit extra outside of what God's boundaries are for them. 
So when we talk about motivation, it's not about, okay, I've got to do this because God says I've got to do this. All right, if that's where you're starting, okay, at least you have a step in the right direction. But motivation has to start with faith. Do you really believe that God says, and what he says is truth? And when God says you must be holy, is that a command for you? Or is that just a nice suggestion? See, genuine faith inevitably results in obedience. And if we have genuine faith in God and in God's plan for our life, then we will obey God and God's plan for our life. Uh, go to Acts chapter 6, very quickly. Acts chapter 6. And verse 7. This is an interesting way to put it, and I, I love this verse because I want to show you what James is talking about when he says, faith without works is dead. Verse 7 in chapter 6 of Acts, And the word of God increased, and the number of disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly, and a great company of the priests... What does it say? Does it say they believed? It says they were obedient to the faith. That means they had true faith, true saving faith that produced obedience. If obedience is not a hallmark of your Christian life, then you do not have true faith. That's what the Bible tells us. Romans chapter 1, just over one book. Romans chapter 1, verse 5. Romans, I mean, you want to discourse on salvation and what salvation is? Go here. This will explain faith and salvation in no uncertain terms. Romans chapter 1, verse 5. By whom we have received grace and apostleship, for what purpose? For obedience to the faith among all nations for his name. Over and over in Scripture, I can give you more. Uh, Romans chapter 10, verse 16. Romans 10, 16. Uh, Paul again says, But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah saith, Lord, who hath believed our report? Uh, Romans chapter 16, verse 26. But now is made manifest by the scriptures of the prophets according to the commandment of the everlasting God, made known unto all nations for the obedience of faith. Faith without works is dead. So our first motivation or that first process, or that first step in understanding holiness and how we should live it in our life is if you truly believe that God is God, if you truly believe that this is his word, and that you are in subjection to the God who sent this to you, then obedience is a natural cause of that. You cannot have true faith without obedience. We sing a song sometimes in church, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Think about those simple words, trust, true faith, and the result of trust is what? Obedience. So if we're truly trusting Christ, if our faith is in God and not in what we can do for ourselves, then obedience is a natural result. So our faith becomes the first step in the process to holiness. Do you have a true faith in Christ? Do you have a true faith? You really believe that God is God. And how are you going to respond to that? And if you believe that this is God's word, that it's infallible, that everything here applies to you, then my first course of action is to make sure I understand what God says and how it applies to my life. So you see, our faith motivates us to find out what God wants us to know about holiness. Is God that important to me that I'm going to put forth the effort to understand what he teaches? So we start with faith. Secondly, along with faith in God, we need to develop a love for God. And here's really the big motivating factor for Christians. This is where holiness really is defined. Again, I'm going to go back to that reference. When Christ was answering the Pharisees who said, what's the greatest commandment? What was the greatest commandment? To love the Lord your God with all your heart. In fact, when God gave the Ten Commandments, that's how he started before he started with one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. He said, I am the Lord your God, and you will love me with all your heart. And because you love me with all your heart, then you'll do these ten things as a beginning. See, love is the real motivation to holiness. And without a love for God, holiness will never happen. 
We may think we're holy. We may think we're pursuing holiness. We may think we're obeying God, but if it's not out of a love for God, then we become a Pharisee. We're just the opposite of what God talks about as far as holiness is concerned. See, we need a love for God. And if we love God, then we'll develop a love for His Word. And if we have a love for His Word and a love for God, then we will have a love for holiness. So here's the question. What is the desire of your life as a Christian? Is it to have all the benefits of having God in my life but still living the way I want to live? Or do you love God so much that this is the most important guide that you will ever have to follow? It's not culture. It's not what's popular. It's not what other people say. It's not what I think Christian life should be. What does God say my life should be? If I love God, that will be my only concern. Do I love God? The answer to that is, do I care about what he wants my life to be? Do I care about what, it wa what he wants it to look like on a regular day-to-day -day basis? Do I care about what God says the standards of my life as I live my life every day should be? Again, here we go back to those principles. There's a lot of do's and don'ts. Okay, let's follow the do's and don'ts if we have to. But there's a lot more that's not do's and don'ts, and those are the things that really define the Christian life. Anybody can do a do's and don'ts on the outside. But only Christians who are truly dedicated to a love for God and dedicated to a, a diligent search for holiness are going to understand the principles that God gives us in his word. Read through the book of Proverbs sometime. I challenge you, read through the book of Proverbs and then try to explain every verse as far as exactly what does this mean and how we should apply it. We, just, we studied Proverbs for, I don't know, 15 weeks or so in our Bible study. And when we started off, I challenged everybody. Okay, you think you understand Proverbs, okay? Here's two verses back to back. It says, answer a fool according to his folly. The next verse starts with answer not a fool according to his folly. Do they contradict? Do you understand what it's talking about? People outside of God's family will look at those two verses and say, see, it contradicts itself. You can't trust the Bible. No, God put it there for a reason, and he's got a principle behind it. He has a principle behind every verse, every story, every analogy, every lesson, every parable. There's a principle that God wants us to understand, and it's up to us to love God enough to make that a priority in our lives. God wants us to understand his truth. He wants us to understand what holiness is. The question is, do we love God enough to dedicate ourselves to fulfilling that goal for our lives? Or is everything else more important? And when I have time, I'll read a few verses and hopefully I can get something out of it. Joshua chapter 1. Back in the Old Testament, as the children of Israel were getting ready to enter the promised land, Joshua had a perfect principle that would be applied not just to them but to us, and it really is the foundation of, of living as a Christian. Joshua chapter 1, verse 8, he says, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate thereon day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. How many of us live every day or through our life up to this point obeying everything that's in the Bible? And if anybody raises their hand, then you've just lied and broken the streak, okay? That thou mayest observe to do all that is written therein. All right, forget about living it. How many of us know everything that God wants us to do, all the commands and all the principles that we're supposed to live by from Scripture? Okay, I'm not going to raise my hand because I haven't gotten there yet. I've been studying the Bible for, well, I'm 47, 40 two years. I started reading when I was about five, okay? I don't, I'm not even close, not even close. So anybody that says, yeah, I've got it down. I don't need any more sermons. I don't need to read my Bible anymore. I've got enough. If we're not motivated to be diligently seeking God's word, God's truth for how we're supposed to live each day of our lives, if we're not motivated to seek God for every step that we take, every decision we make, then we're not concerned about holiness. 
And what we're saying to God is this. God, holiness is a nice recommendation. It's a nice suggestion, but you know what? It doesn't fit in my life. And I don't have time to put the work in to obtain it. If that's the case, and you may not say that outwardly, but if that's the way you live on a regular basis, then God says, you're not a sheep, you're a goat. And at the end of life, I'm going to separate the sheep and goats, and the sheep I'm going to bring into my fold, and the goats I'm going to drive out for destruction. You have to have a love for God, for his word, and for holiness. Because without love, all attempts to live for God are in vain. Holiness becomes filthy rags in God's sight if it's not motivated out of love. Psalm 97.10, the psalmist writes, Ye that love the Lord hate evil. Here's the question. If we love God and God, God's love fills our hearts, our minds, our souls, our might, everything we do is about the love for God, is there room for anything else? No. So if there's no room for anything else, we cannot love the world, 1 John 2.15. See, it's not just about not loving the world. It's about loving God so much that not loving the world is just a natural result of that. I don't have time and I don't have room for the world because I have God. That's all I want. I want God's holiness. I want God's pleasure. I want whatever God has for me. That's what I'm looking for. See, that's what the love for God really is defined as. It's not walking around singing, yeah, I love God, I love God, okay? You can sing that all day, but if you don't live it, it doesn't mean a thing. We need a love for God. And when we truly love God, we'll actively hate evil and we'll seek to become more like God in holy living. How much of the world should a Christian have in their life? God says none. He didn't say, don't live in the world. He said, don't become part of the world. Because we don't belong here. See, holiness starts with an understanding that we don't belong here. We're not living for what this world and this life offers. We're living for the promise that God has given us that someday we'll be in heaven. How much of the world is going to be in heaven? Only the souls of men that have trusted him. That's it. The rest of it will be gone. So what is our motivation now? What is our love set on now? Do I love the things of the world? Do I love the pleasures that it gives? Do I love being entertained and having fun and enjoying the world? There's nothing wrong with enjoying God's creation, but it all comes down to what is my motivation? Do I live my life to serve me and my pleasure, and my needs, and doing what I want, or do I live my life because I love the Lord and everything I do is going to be motivated by that factor? And if that's the, the, the case in our life, it will be very apparent by how we treat God's word. Is this important enough that we have a love for it? And as we understand God's word, will obey his commandments. And the Bible tells us, ye that love the Lord hate evil. We read Psalm 101 this morning. This was David's resolve, Psalm 101. And he says, I will set no wicked thing before my eyes. I hate the work of them that turn aside. It shall not cleave unto me. There's a lot of Christians out there who want the blessings of God, who want an aspect of holiness in their lives so they can be acceptable in God's sight, but they want to be as close to the world and have as much of the world as possible and still maintain their salvation. It can't happen. If your goal in your life is to walk the fence and have the world in God, then you are in the world, and you are not God's. See, here's the point. The greater our love for God, the greater will be our desire for holiness. You know why people don't care about holiness? Because they don't love God. They don't truly love God. When we truly love God, then actually when we talk about holiness and the standards of holiness, love now becomes a stricter and far more demanding guide than law. Next week, we're going to look at legalism and Christian liberty. 
there are a lot of Christians, and here's one aspect of this that's, that's abused or misapplied. There are a lot of Christians who go through Scripture and say, okay, it says do not and do. That's what the Christian life has to be. And so not only am I going to do not and do, I'm going to make everybody else do not and do. That's called legalism. That's not holiness. If we have a true desire for holiness, we have a desire for holiness because we love God and we love other people. See, love does not dictate to other people. Love does not force other people. Love does not condemn and say, oh, your life isn't what it should be because I understand holiness to be this, and you're doing this, and that's a thou shalt not. What happened to the principle of love? Now, yes, if we see a brother in sin and it's pretty clear that it's sin, we are to approach them, not to judge them, but to try to restore them in love, to exhort them in love. Here's what the Bible says. This is what you're doing. It's very clear that it's a sin. I'm not saying ignore sin. I'm saying we have to be careful about imposing our legalistic standards on other people and calling that holiness because that's not what holiness is. Holiness starts with a love for God, not a love for what I think is right. And there are a lot of Christians walking around defining holiness as, this is what I think holiness should be, so everybody should fit this definition. That's not a love for God. That's a love for self. A love for my own understanding of Scripture, for my own human reasoning, for my own uh, standards that I've set for my life, and now everybody else has to live by them as well. That's not holiness. See, a real love for God imposes a very strict standard on self, because a love for God will cause someone to draw much closer to God than legalism will. How close to God were the Pharisees? They were as far as you could get. But those people who truly love God, they will want to be near God. And so God's way is important to them. See, holiness is about an attitude. It's not about actions. When you love God in your heart, when your attitude is about serving God in love, then your love rejects everything that is not clearly compatible with godliness. What is God's goal for my life? Godliness. If I truly love God, then I want what he wants for me. I want to please him. Okay? I love my wife. One of the last things I would want to do in this life is do something that would displease her. Now, that doesn't dictate necessarily what I do as far as holiness and what right and wrong are, but it does dictate what I do as far as our relationship and maintaining that relationship. And the same should be applied to our relationship with God even more so. My relationship with my wife lasts while we're on this earth until we're dead. My relationship with God will go on for eternity. So which is more important? It's obviously our relationship with God. And so if we're truly loving God and want to reject everything that God rejects, we want to condemn the things that God condemns, we want to hate the things that God hates. See, that's what loving God embraces. A love for God basically says, for me, anything that's going to take me out of fellowship with God, anything that's going to displease my Lord, I don't want any part of even if it hints at, help, at making me step aside from the path that God wants me to be walking, I don't need it. Many of you might recognize the name Bobby Richardson back in the earlier, not early, but earlier 1900s. That was the last century, I know, a long time ago. That was in my lifetime, believe it or not. There was a, boy, a guy named Bobby Richardson. He played second base for the Yankees in the major leagues. And he got saved. He came out of baseball and became a preacher, an evangelist. And one time he was at a prayer breakfast, and he started the meeting with this prayer that I think this expresses a desire for holiness perfectly. This is what he prayed, very short. Dear God, your will, nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. Amen. See, that expresses that love for God. Because a love for God wants God's will, nothing more, nothing less, 
nothing else. Do you really love God? See, love will dominate all of our actions and all of our relationships, but it starts with a heart of love. Mark, again, has been going through the characteristics of God. So far, we've looked at God's love and God's holiness. You understand how they're connected now, especially when they relate to us? If we don't love God, we will never be on the road to holiness. So our faith is the first motivation. Our second is love. And thirdly, when we're saved, God gives us his spirit. Again, he's not just our teacher, but he's our motivation. And very quickly, when you look at the Holy Spirit of God, think about his part in your life as a Christian. When we're saved, what do we receive? God gives us the Holy Spirit to guide us, to help us to understand what the truth is, how to apply it. God didn't leave us just to go on our own way and figure it out ourselves. God has given us everything we need for holiness. And the Holy Spirit is our motivation because when we are saved, we receive a holy nature. Before we're saved, we don't have that. When we're saved, God imparts to us a holy nature. When a person, any man that's in Christ, behold, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. All things are become new. That new creature is the life that God has given us through Christ in the Holy Spirit. So we have the Holy Spirit to guide us. So now through the Spirit's power, we can overcome sin and live righteously. Before we're saved, you cannot help but sin, period. Everything you do is sin, because you do it outside of God's will for your life. After we're saved, now we have the power through the Holy Spirit. Now we have the motivation through the Holy Spirit. Now we are enabled through the Holy Spirit to live a holy life. So the Holy Spirit becomes our motivation as well and the process by which we become holy. We're now free from sin's dominion, the power to choose not to sin. That's the freedom. When we talk about Christian liberty, it's not I'm free to do what I want. I'm free to understand the Bible, so now I can live this way because I understand Christ forgave it all. It doesn't matter what I do. No, Paul says don't use your liberty for a license to sin. When we understand Christian liberty... And we'll look at it more in depth next week. We understand that being free in the Spirit means being free to serve God. It means being free to live without sin. Now, you think about that. How many of you have lived without sin? Don't raise your hands because the lightning will come down. Okay? I'm guilty. I have sinned. I will confess that. I have sinned. I'm a sinner. And I need God's mercy to forgive me. But here's the point. As a Christian, if we're truly saved, if our faith is placed in the blood of Christ to cleanse us, and we know we've been sealed by the Holy Spirit into the family of God, my guidance comes from God's word as I want to serve him in love, as the Holy Spirit guides me to live in this truth. And if we're living by the Holy Spirit's guiding, will God ever lead you to sin? The answer is no. God's will for us is not to sin. So God will never lead me to sin. So if I'm following the Holy Spirit, if he becomes the author of everything in my life from my salvation on, then God says it is very possible. The possibility exists. I have enabled you to live a sinless life because now we are living through the Holy Spirit. The problem is, we don't always live through the Holy Spirit. And that's when we end up falling. So God has given us the Holy Spirit. He's given us that new nature, that new life. Does God intend for us to sin in that new nature? No. So God has paved the way for us to live a holy life. He has given us everything that pertains to life and godliness, the Bible says. How come we don't do it? Because God is not our first love. Because we don't follow the Holy Spirit's leading. Because we choose to live as part of the world rather than as part of God's family. I mean, you can name a hundred different reasons why, but it all comes down to the fact that we don't put a priority on holiness because we don't love God the way we should. God's given us the Holy Spirit to lead us and to guide us. 
Although we're Christians, we still have the ability to sin because we're still living in the flesh. And until we're free from the flesh, when we go to heaven, then that temptation, that desire is still going to be there. But the question is, are you going to serve the flesh and sin, or are we going to serve the spirit that God has given us as Christians? As long as we follow the spirit's leading, we will not sin. That's the fact. That's what holiness comes down to. Do I have a desire, a love for God, for his word, for obtaining that holiness that he wants for me, that I care most in this life about pursuing that? Do I care about developing that relationship with God to a level where he is all I need? Everything else doesn't matter. And as I understand that love for God that transcends everything else, now I understand God doesn't just love me, he loves other people. And that love that he's developed in me and that love that he's shown to me, he wants me to spread to other people. You talk about people who are on fire for God, see, they understand that principle. It's not about running around, waving our hands, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, okay? That's not what holiness comes down to. That's not what a Christian life comes down to. Yes, we should praise the Lord. But everything in our life, if our desire is to be holy, should be driven by a love for God, and that will be shown in our relationship with the world and with other people. The world doesn't matter anymore. See, holiness is not about external laws. It's about internal. What is my heart? What is my desire? What are my goals? What is my motivation? If there's anything other than God in those answers then I've stepped off the path of holiness. See, holiness is not about following rules that are imposed upon us. It's about imposing restrictions on our sinful nature because we no longer wish to follow the flesh, but our desire is to follow the Spirit of God. You want to talk about standards? It's not about a list of do's and don'ts and, oh, I have to sacrifice this. Oh, I have to give up that because God doesn't want me to have it. You know, when you do that, it's all of a sudden it looks like God wants me to have no fun in this world and just to go around with a gloomy old face because I can't do anything. That's not what Christian liberty is. Christian liberty is understanding that God has freed me from the bonds of sin. And so now I am free to put the bonds on sin so it can no longer control me. That's what standards of holiness are. I am imposing upon my flesh these restrictions to keep me from loving the world. That's holiness. That's the attitude that brings us to an understanding of what holiness is. One author commented on holiness this way in reference to Romans chapter 8. He said, Christian holiness is not a matter of painstaking conformity to individual precepts of a law code. It's rather a question of the Holy Spirit's producing his fruit in the life, reproducing those graces which were seen in perfection in the life of Christ. The law prescribed, by, uh, uh, prescribed a life of holiness, but it was powerless to produce such a life because of the inadequacy of the human material that it had to work upon. But what the law was powerless to do has been done by God. All that the law required by way of conformity to the will of God is now realized in the lives of those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit and are released from their servitude to the old order. God's commands have now become God's enabling. God will never command us to do something he has not empowered us to do. You know why God's commands are so hard for us to accept and to obey? Because we're trying to do them in our own power. We're trying to make ourselves in conformity to all the do's and don'ts. God says, that's not going to cut it. If your heart is not all about me, if your motivation is not all about me, if your love is not all about me, then everything just becomes a list of do's and don'ts, and that's going to get you nowhere but hell. So following holiness, pursuing holiness is a matter of the heart. And it's not just an attitude. It does require effort, and it's personal effort. And here's a point that many people will debate. Some teach that any attempt to live holy is of the flesh. But again, I refer you to James. Genuine faith produces genuine obedience. Works 
what we refer to as good works, and that's what God calls them, is not about the works, it's about the heart. We must open our lives to the working of God's Spirit and actively implement and practice spiritual principles that he teaches us. How can you obey God's Word if you don't understand what God's Word tells you to do? If you don't know what God's Word tells you to do? That's the first step. Number two, obeying it. Faith, love, holiness, it all produces obedience. I mean, think about this. Holiness is not just, yes, it starts in the heart, but it produces actions. The Bible says this, Reckon yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God. Listen to all the action verbs. Yield our bodily members to God instead of sin. Resist the devil. Draw near to God. Subdue the sinful nature. Discipline the flesh. Kill the deeds of the body. Cleanse yourselves. Labor to enter into rest. Lay aside every weight and the besetting sin. Run with patience. First, uh, Second Peter chapter 3 says, Make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. It's an effort. Where is your effort going? Where do you put most of your time, your effort, and your energy? Is it about pleasing yourself and having what you want, or is it about serving God in holiness? See, God actually performs the work of salvation, and God will develop the holiness, but God will not do for us what he's commanded us to do. God has given us the power. God has given us the spirit. God has given us the direction. Now it's up to us to step out in obedience and do it. And when it comes to the, the aspect of holiness in a Christian's life, now it's about saying, okay, Lord, what you want is more important than what I want, so I'm going to give up everything that I have so that I can do what you want, to do, want me to do. One writer put it this way, the pursuit of holiness is a joint venture between God and a Christian. No one can attain any degree of holiness without God working in his life. But just as surely as no one will attain it without effort on his own part, God has made it possible for us to walk in holiness. But he has given us the responsibility of doing the walking. He does not do that for us. Think of the analogy of a farmer. Who makes the seeds grow? Who sends the rain? Who sends the sunshine? God. But unless the farmer goes out and plows the field, plants the seeds, tills the ground, hoes the weeds, and does the work that's necessary to produce the crop, he can't make the plants grow, but there's a lot of work that's involved in managing it and encouraging it. Think of your, whole, your Christian life as a farm. What condition is it in? If a farmer goes out and plants the seed and then says, okay, God, make it grow, and he stands back and watch, what's the field going to look like? There may be some plants, but it's probably going to be covered with weeds. That's the condition of holiness in most Christians' lives. Because all we want to do is take, okay, God, you saved me. Now make me what you want me to be. I'm just going to kind of float along. Uh, you know, I, I don't have time to study, so just let me know here and there what you want me to do. I don't have a lot of time to pray, so I'll spend a couple minutes every day, and hopefully that's good enough. And our life doesn't produce holiness. Our life produces weeds, because we're like a farmer who goes out and throws the seeds out there and says, okay, God, make it happen. And yet God says holiness is a dedicated effort to seek him because we love him, every moment of our lives. And part of that effort includes making sure that those weeds that start to grow, they're gone. The bugs that come in that are going to kill the plants, they're gone. And if we don't pay attention, then our holiness is going to be destroyed by the weeds of the world that we let grow in our lives because we're not paying attention. We don't have any excuse not to be holy. God has enabled us. God has given us everything we need. God has paved the path. He's given us the instruction. He's given us the Holy Spirit. The reason we're not holy is because we don't care to be holy. It's not a goal of our lives. Second Peter 1.3, I've quoted it several times, according to his divine power, 
he hath given us unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. The Bible tells us we have everything we need to be holy. So what's the excuse? What weeds are you allowing in your life that are keeping you from living a holy life? What other love do you have that's distracting you from a love for God which will bring us to holiness? What standards are you so defensive about? What practices do you have to keep arguing with people about that you can't give them up even though you know they may not fit into God's plan of holiness for your life? Those are the weeds that are crowding out the plants of holiness and the fruit of the Spirit. 1 Peter 1.15, But as he which has called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation or all manner of life. The only way to be truly holy is to live in God's holiness. See, holiness comes down to about living God's life for you in God's way. It's not your life. Holiness is not about your life. Holiness is about you living God's life. Is that the holiness is, is that the holiness that is the goal of your Christian life? Is holiness the goal that you live for every day? Is that why you read the Bible? Is that why you memorize verses? Is that why you pray? Do you love God so much that nothing else matters except pleasing him? If we can't answer yes to that, then we have missed the path that God has for us for holiness. We may think we're on a path to holiness and we're out wandering someplace on our own. So is holiness the goal of your Christian life? Or have you redefined holiness according to your own definition? and you're satisfied with the way your life is going, and you don't want to know anymore, don't confuse me with the facts, God. I've already got it figured out what I want my life to be. Because that life, God says, that's the path of a goat, not a sheep. Next week, we're going to look at redefining holiness and how people redefine holiness through legalism and libertinism. Setting their own rules, basically, is what it comes down to. But as we study holiness, as we see what God says about holiness, it needs to be important to us. Because as Christians, God says, here's your goal. Make it your goal. Let's close in a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. We know that you have given us all that we need for godliness and for life. You've told us that. You have paved the path of holiness. You have given us all the instructions and all the principles that we need in your word. And Lord, I pray that you forgive us for being so lazy that we don't care to find them. That we don't care enough about you to make it a priority in our lives. Lord, and I pray that you convict our hearts. Help us to understand that if you're not first, then we're sinning. And we're living in a continual pattern of sin. Lord, I pray that you would make holiness a priority, the top priority, and not just holiness according to a set of do's and don'ts, but holiness because we love you. And we love you because you first loved us. Lord, thank you. Help us to understand the importance of that and appreciate what Christ did for us so that it changes our thinking. You've told us in your word, our life is not our own. We've been bought with a price. Therefore, we're to glorify God with our body and our spirit, which are God's. Lord, help that to become the goal of our lives as we pursue holiness, as you define it. Lord, I pray that you would help us to, to meditate. The Bible says that those people who are serious about God will take his word and meditate on it day and night, that we may observe to do all that is written therein. So, Lord, make this a part of our life. Make this the goal of our life and help us to love you more and more each day so that we might want to serve you more and more each day. Bless us now as we go, as we uh, finish up this time, Lord. I pray that you would guide us in your truth. Help us to understand what it is you want us to practice on a regular basis 
And even now as we take a time of discussion and study together, I pray that you would guide our words and our thoughts so they might be in conformity with your truth. We ask for your Spirit's leading, not just for this time, but through all our lives. We know that you've given to him for us to us for a purpose. Help us not to ignore that. And so, Lord, just watch over us and bless us and guide us in your truth. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our closing hymn is a consecration hymn, 378. 378. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Take my moments and my days. Let them flow in ceaseless praise. I'm going to ask that you stand with me and we'll sing all three verses. Sing consecration hymn number 378. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to Thee. Take my moments and my days, let them flow in ceaseless praise. Take my hands and let them move of thy love. Take my feet and let them be swift and beautiful for thee. Take my voice and let me sing always only for my King. Take my lips and let them be silver and my gold, not a might would I withhold. Take my talents, Lord, and use every one as thou shalt choose.